0: We have this idea, I don't know exactly where it came from, but it's a really old idea that's still in the water. And that is most people choose a career path and they stick with it for the rest of their life. Well, I don't know when that was true. And the reason I say that is, there's another statistic that some of you may have heard of, which is that it's the new norm is to have at least 12 jobs across your career.
1: Welcome to the Growability Podcast, your home for leadership, management, and marketing education, where we teach business and nonprofit leaders how to flourish in life and work. Are you in the right career for your strengths, passions, and value add to others? Today's episode features a very special guest, Will Gray, founder of Vocationality. Let's listen to this conversation about staying in your current career or moving on to your next season. Here are your hosts, Joshua McLeod and Bernie Anderson.
2: I am super excited today, Joshua, to have my friend, I like saying Dr. Will Gray, it just kind of rolls off the tongue. Not just a guest, an illustrious guest. An illustrious guest. <laughs> Thanks, guys. That's very kind. Will is, a, is the founder of an organization called Vocationality, uh, where they help, and and he has helped uh, hundreds of people to just get unstuck in their career. I would like for Will to share with us a little bit about that. Will, introduce yourself, and uh, we'll we'll just get started that way.
3: Yeah, well, I always like to know, where are you and how did you get there?
0: So I'd love to share that with you. I'm in Greenville, South Carolina, and I do work with people all over the world. Vocationality began uh, 2006, worst year of my career. I applied to 100 jobs and got zero interviews and got hired by zero companies. And the only reason I got a job next is that someone got it for me, and it was the most toxic workplace I've ever worked in. That was the year that I would wish on no one. Uh, But then in 2010, I was working on my graduate work in English literature. I was teaching full time and uh, I was assigned to teach a course to juniors and seniors that was not literature. I did not want to teach this course. They don't want to take it either. And they're convinced the only purpose of this class is to teach them how to get a job. So I looked at all the textbooks. I had my choice of any textbook out there. They all taught getting the job exactly the same way, which is probably how you were taught it. You have this thing, it's called a resume. You have this thing, it's called a cover letter, and you just fill out the template and you send them out and you get hired. Now, I don't know if you just heard that 2006 story, but that does not work, okay? So I wasn't quite sure what to teach them, but I said, we're ditching the textbook for this part of the course. I'm gonna cobble together some things to help you do what I think you need to do, which is to understand yourself and what value you provide and to get really specific with that and figure out what places you should even be applying to and know how to research them in advance and then figure out how to demonstrate good fit. I didn't have the language for all these things back then. But the big surprise was not just that I got to teach that course, but that several juniors and seniors changed their majors after that part of the course. And so years later, when I was no longer in higher education, people began coming to me for career help because they heard I was a good person to talk to about that. Lots of people not convinced that they found what they're made to be doing. So that's a little origin story on where vocationality came from.
3: And and how long have you been doing this under the brand of vocationality? What a great name.
0: Oh, thanks. Uh, that's been since at least 2014. That's when the company went live, but... Practically speaking, I've been working with people all the way since back in those Clemson days and in the years afterwards, which I call the trench coat years, where people were approaching me, sometimes I, who I didn't even know, that look around and say, I hear you do this thing for people who don't like their jobs, you know, <laughs> like I was selling something illicit.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Well, we've all kind of gone through these career shifts in our lives. You're in your third career at this point. Yeah. How common do you think that is? And, and tell us a little bit about the idea of, of having multiple careers. Mm-hmm. Is that a good thing? Is that a bad thing? Talk to us a little bit about having multiple careers within your vocation.
0: Absolutely. Um, we, we have this idea. I don't know exactly where it came from, but it's a really old idea that we all that's still in the water. And that is most people choose a career path and they stick with it for the rest of their life. Well, I don't know when that was true. And the reason I say that is, there's another statistic some of you may have heard of, which is that it's the new norm is to have at least 12 jobs across your career. And this is established, Bureau of Labor Statistics kind of thing. You know how the Bureau of Labor Statistics found out that number? That number refers to the boomer generation. All of us, no matter how old we are, we grew up in a world where it was already normal to have lots of jobs across your career. And as you probably know, the nature of work has changed radically around us, that it's hard to stay in one job at one place for a long time doing it exactly the same way.
3: Yeah, I'm, I was thinking about Moses had quite a lot of jobs, you know, here he was raised <laughs> up sure. in uh, Egypt. And then he was like, oh, I'm going to go be a shepherd. And it's like, no, now you're going to lead people through desert. And like, no, now you're going to prepare people to go and do something else, you know. So I guess uh, it goes as old as Moses had a lot of job changes.
0: Yeah. And if it's okay to leap from Moses to Mr. Miyagi, uh, I hope that's all right on a podcast like this. (laughs) Um, I'm sure he'd appreciate it. If you recall the movie Karate Kid, a great slash kitschy movie from the 80s, Mr. Miyagi trained Daniel not by saying, here's how you do this move and here's how you do that move and here's how you do this other move. He trained him indirectly. And he trained him indirectly by having him paint his fence and wash all his cars and wax them and all kinds of stuff, right? That really seemed to also benefit Mr. Miyagi, uh, which is okay. But in other words, if we if we believed or even if we suspected that there was something bigger going on than any one job that we have, how might God prepare us for the later jobs we're going to have? It might seem like things add up in a in an unusual way, but I, I've come to believe that none of that's lost. What occurs
3: to me. You know, Moses and Miyagi were both mentors. There's almost like with age, we should naturally move a little bit more out of the, I need to go and prove that I can do this and more get underneath other people and help them grow. Is that something you would agree with? And is that something that you see?
0: Generally speaking, I agree. First of all, we need to expect that as we get older, there are ways that other people can benefit from us. We might need to expect to learn how to be a mentor yeah, and to learn how to be a leader. And that really kind of bleeds into my second point. I don't know that everybody is meant to shift into leadership. In fact, I'm pretty sure they're not, okay? If God had designed all of us to be leaders, none of us would ever be able to work for anybody else, right? Yeah. yeah the people I've worked with, I would say maybe a third or fewer of them were, I would qualify as leaders, and so, some of this is listening to how you're able to do your best work. Like, what is my best work that I have to be able to give? That's really the question you're asking at any point during your life, whether you're staying in a role or transitioning into another one. For some of us, we really need to be able to benefit the younger generations who we're working alongside. The others of us need to be working to gain those gifts so that the people can benefit from us. It. So it's a little. It's, a, it's not a clear-cut answer I'm giving to you, but there's a little both-and going on there.
2: This whole idea of leadership is, is shifting as well. Leadership's not a destination. Mm-hmm. And I think the sooner we get that out of our heads and thinking that mm-hmm. I'm going to work and work and work so that someday I can be the leader. No, you, you actually may need – we may need your leadership skills now – and then when this season's over, we need you to step back almost like a like an actor, you know, an actor is going to step into a role. And we may need Tom Hanks to, you know, play the lead role of like something or yes, we need him to play a minor character here because he's actually best suited to act out this particular role as a minor character. And that's where his his. Abilities are going to be best put to use in this particular for this particular movie or whatever you know.
0: I couldn't agree more, uh, Bernie. I love the way you worded that. I, I had a, a for instance of that in my own career, and I've seen it in many careers that that where people are in touch with what they're able to bring and seeing what the needs are. I worked with a, a company as an internal consultant for about four years, and it was a period of significant growth and transformation. And we reached a place where most people would put put it into park. And try to stay in that role for the rest of their career. And I knew, I knew if I stay any longer, my I will stop being able to do my best work. And what my best work is, the company no longer needs. And so it's best if actually I step out at this point and let other people take a new kind of lead that they're going to be better at. Uh, in other words, if a job comes to an end, that does not need to look like a sign of failure to anybody it can look like a sign of triumph. Like what I was here to accomplish happened and I'm so grateful and you're so grateful and how can we give each other a high five as I move into the next chapter?
2: So good.
3: So great. So if I'm a leader in a career and I feel like I'm not growing, are there some tips or tricks or guides or something that you can share with our audience that are a good starting point to understand who you are and then understand the value that you can bring to an organization?
0: Absolutely. I'd love to. And the, and the first one is a secret. Okay. Now this is one of those secrets that's hiding in plain sight, but I normally need to point this out to myself and others. Okay. Now I only share the secret with my friends. So it's a good thing we're among friends right now. All right. But here's the secret. Only you can take the lead in your work life Mm. and only you ever could. All right. Now, the reason I, I say that's a secret is that I think most people are not taking the lead in their work life. And it's very common with the clients I've worked with to go back and, through all this, the, the, the previous career decisions and to see that other people largely made or shaped those decisions for them. And they've kind of been drifting for a while. I know it may feel like shaming is not shaming. I'm here with great news. And that is the person who can unlock this prison is you. Okay. You've had so the good. key the whole time. Right. And you can take the lead. In your work life. And that means a number of things. That means that you can take the lead in figuring out how you're designed, what I would call your difference. You are different. I mean, you know it. If you look at your fingerprint, your fingerprint has never existed before in the history of the world and it never will again. And we know this. Are we showing up in the difference we're made with? Are we trying to show up in a difference we don't have? You know, and that's going to be pretty frustrating.
2: Wow, what a a thing about difference. Just make that statement again, Will, because I, I think we need to hear that.
0: Okay, uh, at our, in our work life, are we showing up the, with the difference we're made with? Or are we showing up in a difference that we don't have? Right? Are we, are we trying to show up in a misfit without even realizing it? You can pay attention to how you're designed. For many people, that on its own is gonna be enough for you to start eavesdropping on your life. That's a word I use because I think it involves a lot of curiosity and permission and freedom from judgment. Uh, I would also encourage you to commission people who can are life-giving and can speak truth into your life about what they see. In vocationality, we call these insight partners, and there's sort of a role they play to speak into your life um, at the right times with the right questions. But you could commission people on your own to say, hey, you know me. I would like to give you an answerable question uh, about me so that I could learn more about myself and, and how, how I'm made and how I could do my best work
3: what about discovering your talents? Like what
0: is the value
3: add of my position to the organization, to the season of my organization? What are some tips or advice that you would give for that piece?
0: We're really talking about gifts, I think, when you're mentioning talents. And I love the word gifts because it it suggests the generosity that's there in the first place and the generosity in which we're supposed to think about how to use them too. And really what we're listening to is we're listening to the overlap between strengths and passions and how you create value for others. Now, I know strengths and passions get used quite a lot. So let me try to contribute what I think is a more helpful way of thinking about these. Strengths really speak to the reality that some things come more easily to you than they do to other people that's how we need to understand them. It's not like there's a list of 500 capabilities. Which ones do you have and, which, and to what degree? Why don't you start paying attention to what seems to come more easily to you than it does to other people, and it can create value for other people. Well, that's worth paying attention to. That is evidence, right? right. Same thing is true with passions, but from a little different perspective. Here's where I get all English major on this. Passion had an earlier meaning in English. And there are a lot of words that had earlier meanings that are just curious, right? But this is one where it actually, I think, has some bearing on how we understand what's going on with passion. Do you guys know the earlier meaning of, of passion in English?
2: Yeah, patty. I, I believe we do, but I would like for you to hey, to continue, yeah.
0: Joshua's got it. What, what were you saying, Joshua?
2: Well, as I understood it, the, uh,
3: the Latin is pati, to suffer. That's exactly right. Yeah. What do you love so much that you're willing to suffer for it to see it accomplished?
0: Absolutely. And I'll build on that a little bit because it might sound strange to to pair the idea of suffering with the way we normally understand passion, which I think is accurate. What, you know, what lights me up? What do I really love doing? Both of those are true. Think about it this way. What do you care about so much that you would willingly sacrifice for it Yeah, in ways that other people would not? Because as a reminder, we're talking about difference here. And the more we can understand the difference, the easier this gets, as opposed to just like, I don't know, maybe. But if we think, hey, within the group of people I know, actually, I think I'm the only one I know who would willingly sacrifice for this topic or this kind of work or this issue or whatever it is. Evidence. This is evidence we're looking at here. Where else would that have come from? Yeah, You can't decide that something will be easier for you next week than it will be for anyone else. You can't decide that. You also can't decide, starting next week, I will willingly sacrifice time, energy, money, and mind space in ways that other people... You can't do it. It's either part of how you're made or not.
3: So those are strengths and passions. What about
0: values? Well, here's the reality. Work is not wish fulfillment. I think we know that. But we may need to be reminded of that, maybe particularly in this era of great resignation. Work is not wish fulfillment, it's value creation. Uh, if we just look at strengths and passions and we leave out value, we've described a hobby. It's not work, right? A career is for work, work is for value that other people experience, but this, it's got to have the lens of value toward it or we're not, no longer talking about work.
3: I, I don't know, Bernie, if you would agree with this, but I think is a key to what we do at GrowAbility, that value add has to be habitual. It's not just something where I can show up and be exceptional and then, you know, kind of not have, not add any more value for the rest of the week. Like value add is how do I add value on my worst day? If I, if I'm sick and I'm tired and I show up, can I still add value? Well, that's what, that's the kind of career that you should be in.
2: That's so true. I'm curious about something that I'd like to, I think kind of segue into just briefly here while we still have a few minutes, everything that we've just talked about is so good. I mean, thinking about work from this sort of big perspective of where is it that I'm going to kind of fit into the world? Where is it that I'm going to provide value? Here's the problem though. I was having a career change or in the middle of a career change because of coming out of a toxic environment. What is your advice to someone who finds themselves maybe doing work that they love and that they feel really good about, but are working with and for people who are just soul-sucking in every respect?
0: Yeah. Well, first thing I just want to say is I'm sorry. It's not meant to be that way. Um, and, And that can be not only really dehumanizing, but it can be really disorienting. As well. Toxic workplaces is one of those topics that I was aware was a big deal, but um, I began posting some months ago daily on LinkedIn and I didn't realize how significant toxic workplaces were to people until I started to post on it and it got 10 times as much response as anything else that I would post about. And so I'm actually in the middle of creating two courses right now, one for people who feel like they need to stay at least for a season in this. That's called the the Toxic Workplace Survival Kit. And then one for people who would like to leave, they just don't know how to sort of stabilize and get enough support to head in that direction. That's called the Toxic Workplace Escape Plan. Hey, the reality of a toxic workplace is that you can really start to get foggy, foggy, foggy about yourself and your work and how to move forward. Nice people really struggle with toxic work environments. Because not only do we think, well, I should be able to put up with this, you know, maybe I can, maybe I can stay. But also think of all these other people that I'd be abandoning if I left. Well, those are really nice, well-intentioned kinds of thoughts. But the reality is if this is an unhealthy work environment, you're voting for its existence by staying there too. All right. You know, if we if we don't want toxic workplaces to exist, we need to stop voting for them. By our presence, right? And I've seen multiple situations where when somebody left who had had a position of influence, people started to say, Well, well, wow, wow, I feel like I finally have permission to think about leaving too, right? And and think about the future people that you can help when you're in a healthy place, doing better work more sustainably. Those are the people that, that are really losing out on you right now, right? So would you stay in any other kind of toxic environment? Like, like if you said, Hey, Will, I've heard that there's a natural gas leak in my house. I love every other part of it. You know, <laughs> should I stay in my house? You know, right, say, right. Bernie, I think you need to get that leak fixed before you go back home. Right. And if it's a permanent leak, you might need to look at a different house. Right. So there is a lot going on in toxic workplaces. All right. But this is, this is kind of next level stuff, so it may not be for everybody. What kind of environment do you think God would put somebody in if he wanted to grow them in being a health-giving person or being a safe person or having influence on people who have been hurt and have brought their trauma, their unfinished generational wounds into the workplace and are working it out through other people? Who, who might he want to grow in that area? Well, maybe you, if you're in a toxic workplace, right? Now that sounds like the exact opposite thing that you may want to hear right now. And it it may not be that you're ready for that yet. You may need to stabilize. You may need to get back to health yourself, but whether you stay or whether you leave, you've actually been given a painful gift, which is the opportunity to grow in a way that you would not have chosen, but that can be super helpful for people in the future. Or maybe even you become the kind of leader who has influence on those who are in an unhealthy place themselves and are able to create a space where they can grow as people. Wouldn't that be incredible? Now how would you possibly get there if you weren't, you know, willing at some point to cooperate with that thing that was outside your control and grow too through the process. Wow. I like
3: what you're saying there. If you can endure the environment that you're in without it like tearing your soul apart and you have the the wherewithal to be able to endure Sometimes staying in it is actually shaping you into who you need to be for leading others in a future season. That really makes me think of uh, King David. Everybody know, hears about David and Goliath and they're like, oh, just David, he's going to be a great leader. Look, he went and he conquered the big giant. But then for the next like decade, David was chased around by King Saul in deserts. He was working with vagabonds. He was continually under threat. He was continually uncomfortable. But what prepared him for ruling the kingdom was not taking down the giant. What prepared him for ruling the kingdom was being chased around by a jerk. <laughs> and, and so if you can just take the punch and you're Rocky Balboa, it's like, okay, his fighting strategy is you know, not, not the best in the movies. Um, <laughs> okay, that's that's you choosing to take a punch. Different than I walk in and I get punched in the face and there's no block and there I can't take the punch. There's a huge difference from taking a punch And being punched that you can't block.
0: Yes,
2: absolutely. Well, and it brings us full circle, doesn't it? Because your current career is the culmination of everything that you've done up to this point. Some of that career capital is being able to take punches, right? Some of it is growing in your gifts, all of the things that we've talked about that, that kind of bring you to the season that you're in right now. What would you say to someone who is right now, for whatever reason, Looking at, hey, maybe I should I should quit my job and, you know, do something different. What would your counsel be to them if they're listening to this podcast with that in mind, you know, even right now as we talk?
0: Yeah. So the first thing I'd say is you're not alone. I mean that in a couple senses. You're not the only one thinking through this right now, uh, but you don't need to be alone in this either. Uh, whether that's gathering uh, life-giving friends in your own life, or whether it's reaching out for help from me or, or, or some other resource that you have access to, please don't be alone in that transition. And also I would recommend that you build the bridge first. I really never recommend that you create unnecessary risk for yourself. Even if you're leaving a toxic workplace and you can't, you don't even have the mind space to to move forward in a in a, in a healthy way. Choose what I would call a transition relief job, something that you know is a healthier environment. It's maybe less pay, but it's going to allow you to get healthier first. Don't create risk for yourself, and and I really think that you may need help. And if if you need help, great, ask for it. There are a lot of people out there who want to help you. I want to help you, Um, but please take heart. And what's going to happen next in your career can benefit and get unlocked by your ability to enter that next chapter and to take the lead in your work life, even if you don't know completely what it looks like yet.
2: Well, how can people best get a hold of you?
0: The easiest way is at vocationality.com. You can watch a free training. You can take a free checkup to see if you should stay or leave your job. You can set up a free advisor chat if you want. If you're on LinkedIn, I post there all the time, and I'd love to connect with you as there as well.
2: Yeah. You can also pick up Will's book. It was great, called Rediscovering Silence, and uh, you can pick that up on all the places where books are sold. Will, you you're bringing a lot of courage with your work. We are
3: so delighted to have you on today. Thanks for your valuable time and the valuable insights that you've brought.
2: It means a lot.
0: It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me.
2: And with that, we want to let everyone know that you're doing better than you think and you have more potential than you know. And uh, thank you for growing today with vocationality and growability. Uh, see you guys next week.
1: We'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Growability Podcast. The mission of GrowAbility is to equip leaders to flourish in their life and work by developing vision, rhythm, and community. To discover more ways to flourish in your life and work, visit growability.com and speak with a certified GrowAbility coach. Bernie and Joshua are also available for speaking engagements, workshops, and conferences. Subscribing to this podcast helps GrowAbility equip leaders throughout the world, and we appreciate you tuning in. Thanks for growing with GrowAbility.